we should just do it for luck. This is Lucky to Lead. That was so good. Okay. Just drop your best one. Welcome to Lucky to Lead. You're talking shit about me? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Lucky Lucky to Lead. Lead. Dave, we are back. It is Sunday, March 25th, 24th. May. May. Don't take me back to March, man. It is Sunday, May 24th. Um, Memorial Day weekend? Memorial Day weekend. We should be... I should be in an RV getting ready to watch the D3 games today. Ah, brutal. That's right. Yeah, really just... The Indy 500. Oh, my God. That's right, the Indy 500. Although Um, there are live sports today, so you'll be okay. Yeah, it's... uh, Tiger against Phil, right? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Tom Brady and I don't know who Phil's playing with. Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. That's right. Those guys talking shit, by the way, is... Going to be classic. It's next level. Yeah. Yeah. Episode six. Wow. Uh, I knew that we, like, I knew that between us we wouldn't quit. Um, But it's still weird to me that we've made it to episode six. (laughs) It is weird. Um, But it's been going well. I feel like we get uh, more underneath our belt every time. Yeah, we're getting better at it. It's fun. and, and I feel like I'm learning a shit ton very fast. Yeah, I feel, well, this is good. I feel like we stay connected in that way during this uh, bizarre time. Um, so we were talking about that offline before we started, that just how crazy things are. But this uh, this is a nice reprieve, that's for sure. Well, without any uh, further ado, episode six is with our guy, uh, our our local Houston Yoda, Andrew McCullough. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> no, it's an honor to be on with you guys. I, um, I've learned so much from you guys. I've been very fortunate to be on the field with you for now. Well, this would have been our, our fourth season. And it's, it's honestly been a true pleasure to be with you guys. It's, uh, Likewise. It's a great, great time. Every afternoon is just the, you know, as David always says, I look forward to it. I look forward to being with the guys and being out there, and it's just a uh, treat to go to battle with you guys every day. Well, um, I think likewise is an understatement. We are – I know David and I feel similar that we are lucky to have you um, in our corner um, on and off the field. So what's exciting about today is that I feel like um, – we have picked up gems from you over the last four years, uh, mostly in one-on-one settings, actually. Uh, and I'm excited to start to share some of these gems because um, that's what this show's about. Sure. So let's let's kick it off like we kick off every episode, which is you know what are you what are you up to now? Like what do you do these days? Well, so um, you know after. Uh, when I moved back to Houston was uh, back in the um, spring of 95. My mom had been diagnosed with um, cancer, but before that I was working for Coca-Cola, but I came back here and kind of helped with some family stuff. And we do um, a lot of different investments down in South Texas, obviously in the markets and um, different real estate investments. And so 
during the morning before I get out there with you guys, I'm usually in the office from, uh, you know, seven to three and working on various investments and um, different ranching operations, et cetera. So that's where I spend most of my time during the day and during our off season from each other. And, um, but I was brought back to uh, Houston because my mom had been um, diagnosed with cancer. And so uh, fortunately I got back in time to spend a couple of years with her before she passed. So that's, otherwise I was in Atlanta, which was a great time to be in Atlanta when I was in my uh, late twenties. So. So um, I feel like we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but you coming back to Houston uh, for your mother um, was very much like a huge shift in your, in your professional life as well. And kind of has brought you into the position that you're in today. Um, not only as a, a, a leader in the office, but almost a little bit of a leader in your family. Um, what, what is, what was that kind of coming back and then feeling like you're kind of stepping into this role of really helping everybody, you know, move forward together? Right. So, you know, it's, um, it's very interesting to, um, work obviously with family members and making decisions and, um, you know, you'd almost rather work with other people because then when you leave the office, you know, it's over. And then they typically don't, not many people know your home number or where you live, but with your, with your family, obviously it's a little bit different. They can track you down 24 seven. And I, you know, it's a very different, um, perspective, but I, um, I really take it as a challenge that, you know what, I don't think anybody would do a better job than me. And obviously to go find someone to do that is, is hard because um, I have expectations of things that I do that everybody is going to benefit. And if, if I make a mistake, uh, you know, I'm all in, right. I'm in that game. So a lot of people um, would, if they would make a mistake, if you're not, part of the the crew, then you're still going home and things are different. And then you come back to the office on Monday morning and start all over again. Right. So, um, but a thing that really got me comfortable with doing that was that prior, my first, when I came back to Houston, when my mom was sick, I worked for a a local software company called Bindview development. And uh, it was started by Eric Pulaski. And um, I was one of the early employees. And I, after a couple of years there, I, I managed a, a team. And I had a team of uh, about eight sales reps and we were mostly the Southwest and the West coast. And um, a couple of my employees ended up being um, some good friends of mine's wives, which, you know, so that was my first foray into actually kind of really working with somebody that I knew pretty well. And uh, one of the wives you, you two know very well. And um, she worked with me for about, about 18 months and she was uh, pregnant during part of this time too. And so I managed a sales team and, um, we, you know, as you know, when you were sales, you're not, the salary is not the important thing. It's the commission. And so the one argument that I had with this wonderful lady who I just saw last week is, you know, it was a commission on a very big deal. And, um, the way it used to work was if you could have proof that you had done the work and it was written, you know, obviously in the uh, computer and all the logs and all that stuff. And you would get a hundred percent commission. Well, during her pregnancy, she left and someone else kind of worked it, but she had kind of got it to the goal line. And then, you know, he scored the touchdown. And so she comes back and we have a meeting and um, I'm there with both of them and we're discussing, you know, how we're, how we're going to play this one out. And um, 
that's, I think, the one regret I have because when I look back, I should have given 100% to her. But I, there's a carrot that's being dangled because this gentleman was telling me that, you know, he was thinking about leaving the company. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was going to be down a sales rep. And, you know, and so instead of going, I ended up deciding to go 50-50 because he did get the check in, which was a great sale for the company at the time because it was before we'd gone public. But I think that one of the, as I look back, um, I regret it because when someone does all the work and it leads up to it, you know, it's just a foregone conclusion that it's going to happen. And she got us there, right? And so, um, but to this day, we're still best friends. So the reason why I go into that whole story about that is because I had two really good friends that were on my team. And the, the gentleman that I reported to, he said, it's your call. It's the sales team that you're building. And if you think you can do it and you're willing to work with your friend's wives, by all means, go for it. But I, I wish you the best of luck. And so, you know, it, it turned out to be great. And uh, we had a good time. And, you know, I really, um, I cherish those years because we had a good, you know, we had a good five-year run when we did that. So. Cool. That, uh, <clears throat> that kind of leads me into my question of, you know, you're now dealing with your family and obviously you're invested 100%. And that might be a little bit different than you would be for a company, say Coca-Cola or whatever it is you're obviously invested, but, um, how does that dynamic, how did that change? Obviously you got some, some ideas from your previous job with the software company dealing with friends of yours, but has that dynamic changed at all between now that you run kind of the family business as opposed to, you know, Coca-Cola or the software company, has that dynamic changed with your, you're going to have arguments with your you know, family members on decisions that you all sure. are, are charged to make. What does that dynamic look like? Well, it's a, um, <clears throat> as you can imagine, it's a very interesting dynamic because we wouldn't, you know, we have conversations. They are asking, you know, they're asking very pointed questions about stuff that we're doing and why we're doing it. And it can be, like I said, it can be regarding investments. It can be regarding ranching operations. It can be lots of different things. And, um, you, you wear many, you wear many hats, right, David? Because I think a lot of your family members are looking at you, but they also, in a moment's notice, they could be literally a tangent somewhere else because something else is going on with something else we're doing. And um, I think that the hardest thing for us is that, um, you know, when it push comes to shove, it comes down to myself and one other, you know, family member and we make this and, you know, eventually we're going to have to make the decision. And you as my, cousin or whatever it is brother you might not agree with it but you know that I've got your best interest in mind because I'm in you know I'm in tune with exactly what I'm doing and you're part of it as well and you just have to trust that I'm doing the right thing now that does that always (laughs) that always really easy no it's not but you know what fortunately um it's an open dialogue and that's that's what I would probably share with you is the best thing is just to keep it open and say hey listen you know what you can track me down cell phone, email, text, however it is, and we can always discuss it. But as long as we're keeping everyone happy in an open dialogue, but the second that, you know, with any business, if you all of a sudden say, am I better than you? Or do I, you know, does my decision count more? Maybe a little bit, but you, you know, you have to be honest and say, you know, we, we've got push comes to shove and we have to make this call right now. Right. 
whether it's an investment or because you've got accountants, you've got attorneys, you've got a lot of people working on it. And all of a sudden, you know, now you got the, you got the media running in the back of the ground too. Right. right. And people are, want to move on and do something a little bit different. Right. So that's, um, that's the hardest thing is that, you know, when it comes to is they know that I have, you know, their best interest in mind, but I also, it's open, right. It has to be, it's the same thing with coaching, right? I mean, you have to have an open dialogue, whether it's your captains or even the, the, the you know, the youngest freshman on the team, right? Because right. everybody has a point and everybody wants, whether it's right or wrong, you have to hear them out because if you don't, then all of a sudden, you know, you might lose them. Right? right. And it's the same thing with a team that you work on. If you do not give everybody the same amount of time to just offer their opinion, everybody just wants to be heard. Right. And then, and you know what, like Ronnie was saying earlier, you might get a great gym and you're like, God, you know what, I'm going to use that because what that person just said, and I would have never even thought about it, but I, I like the spin on it. And you know, that, that's mine. I mean, you say going forward and you know, and there's lots of little things. I had a, uh, a great football coach in, in high school who said, you know, um, who's better than you? I mean, that's all he said. And, you know, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, what's that mean? And he's like, is he arrogant? He's like, no. He's like, you know, when you're out there, who's better? You know, you're in that position because we put you there. Who's better than you? And the answer is no one. It's you, right? And if you fail, you fail. But there's a reason why, we, you know, we put you out there. No, I love that. I think, uh, you know, one of the common themes that has come up in our conversations has been the communication, the clear lines. The, the transparency of if that's an open dialogue, the success rate, however you want to measure that, is usually better than if you keep your kind of cards tight. Um, I would say that that's probably one of the more difficult things as a leader is being able to communicate and articulate your plan. Um, obviously, you're going to have some dissension at some point, but how do you deal with that? It sounds like from your point of view, you got to listen. Right. Um, which I think is so key to being um, a successful leader, not just a leader is, is actually listening. I always use you guys have heard me, uh, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Right. And I think that, that to your point, exactly. And, and then on top of that, dealing with family, that dynamic um, is, is really, um, you know, you're walking a, a fine line, but it seems like you're, uh, communication and your ability to articulate it in a concise way is how you kind of mitigate some of that uh, dissension in, in for lack of a better way to say it. Well, true. And, you know, back obviously even the time with um, the software company, I mean, when you have, you give someone a territory and all of a sudden you say, Hey, Ronnie, you know what? I think that uh, you got too big a piece of the pie and I'm going to move it on to David because um, you know, he needs a little more work and all of a sudden, you know, of course, Ron, you're going to come to me and say, hey, listen, wait a second. You know, I, I got that. And then all of a sudden you start visiting that territory, you call them and then, you know, but, you know, I'm sorry, Ron, you know, I've made I've made that decision. And here's why, because you know what? You have not made calls or visits into that territory for months. And meanwhile, Dave, you know, David, you're running short on stuff to do. And, you know, we're we're all in this together. Right. And if if each individual wins the team wins because we're coming together as a team to pull us together. And so if you're leaving a certain part of a state open, you know, watch out. Cause I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pass it along to somebody else and you should, right. As a leader, you should not, you know, second guess your decisions. Once they're made, there's a reason why, because it, it doesn't just happen 
instantaneously like, okay, well, Ronnie's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. That's why I'm giving, you know, you've obviously done the research, you have the feel for it. And it's just to make the decision to make the call. And you know what? Sometimes you make the wrong call and you have to be willing to step up and say, Hey, you know what? My bad. I made a bad call there. And so, but you know what? Then the point is, then I come to you, Dave, and say, you know, prove me right. That's why I'm giving you that. Or I go back to Ronnie and you spin it the other way and prove me why I'm wrong. Yeah. Taking that away. So, you know, it's, it's a little give and take, obviously, as you both know. So the, um, one of the things that comes to mind as you're talking through this is this, is this idea of like RACI, R-A-C-I. So responsibility, accountability, consulted, informed. And this is something that um, we started to use at work more and more. Because the uh, and as you're talking, I'm I'm thinking to myself, okay, so Andrew is responsible. Um, at the end of the day, there's one person who's going to make the call. That's the person who's responsible. Who are the parties that are accountable? It may be part of that person's team, accountable for making the right decision, but not responsible. And it sounds like everyone on the team is consulted. I want to hear what everyone has to say, right? I'm I'm going to listen to everybody, and at some point. When, when that time to consult is over, like I, don't, I have to make a call, now I go, I take responsibility to make the call, and now everyone else is being informed. So now I'm only informing those people. So <clears throat> to me, like you're, you're talking through this whole thing, and I've, I've heard every piece of this. So I shared it in the little message for, for you guys to look at as well. But it's something that right. um, I think is, as, as a leader, this has helped me um, help set expectations for the people around you um, because then everyone knows what they're in for, right? Hey, like you, you're informed on this decision. Hey, I'll let you know. Right. Um, hey, I need your input. Um, so give me all the input you have until that moment comes where I have to make the decision and then I'll inform you of my decision. Uh, so I, I just thought that was like a really, a really nice piece to put in here because I feel like that's exactly what you've been doing and that's how you've found success. And it's like the expectation seems to be very clear. Well, you know, I, I think that um, obviously it all comes back to communication, guys. And I, and I think that a lot of um, a lot of times um, people will talk and you'll you'll hear a lot of words and like, OK, well, I'm not really sure I got much out of that. And as you both know, I'm usually pretty silent, but, I, you know, I'm listening a lot. And then I, I then I'll then I'll formulate a plan and go forward with it. And I think a lot of people um, want to be heard. And like you said, Dave, you have two ears and one mouth, but a lot of people sometimes tend to have two mouths, unfortunately, it sounds like. So um, it's a um, interesting situation when people don't truly listen, you know, because they're, they're formulating, you know, excuse me, they're formulating their plan as, as you're talking and they don't realize the answers already come out of your mouth. But now I'm, I'm going to just regurgitate exactly what you just said. And that's part of the problem that I see in it. But this um, current generation, my, my daughter, obviously, you know, they're very thoughtful and they really listen well. And, you know, and that's one thing that's very important, whether you're, you know, one-on-one with somebody or if you're in a group, you really need to take the time to just shut up and listen to what people say instead of, you know, formulating your plan and say, okay, I, I, I got this. I know what, exactly what I'm going to say right when he finishes and all of a sudden, they steal your point because they, they just said it and you missed it. And then everyone looks at you as though you did not hear what the guy said for the last five minutes. So. Have you been in a situation though, where you were just like, everybody shut the hell up. This is what we're doing and we're moving forward. 
has there been a moment? Cause I find myself as a, as a coach, um, occasionally having to do that. Now it just depends on the, the scenario that you're in, but I do think there's those moments where you're just like, okay, I, I'm done with it all. I know where we're going. I know what needs to be done and we're moving forward. Sure. You know, when I, um, I can go back to when I was working with Coca-Cola, I worked in fountain operations in Atlanta and I managed a team that, uh, teams along the um, San Bernardino, Los Angeles County area, and then also the state of uh, Colorado. And so what we were doing was we, um, Fountain Operations runs all the machines that you see at movie theaters, high schools, the stuff where you go and make the suicide drink with the Coke and the Sprite and the fan of orange, all that stuff. And so, and as you know, as you know, those machines are, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And, you know, we had to allocate different machines every day that would go out and whether or not we were replacing them in high schools stadiums, movie theaters, whatever. And you get to a point where, you know, you only have on any given day to insult, you have eight to 10 machines, David, and you, you know, you have to allocate the trucks they go out on and you've got a high school that's machine spin down. You've got a theater that's, you know, it, there's a big movie coming out that weekend and their machines are down and all that. And you've got to make that call and say, listen, you know what, Who, who's going to, you know, who's really going to benefit from this? And quite honestly, you know, it, and not that, you know, if you go between obviously a, a school and a movie theater on a weekend that let's say a star Wars movie is coming out. I mean, that decision's probably already made for you where you're going to go. You're going to, you know, you're going to send that extra machine there. But so that was um, lots of times. And those were the situations almost weekly with Coca-Cola on a Thursday, because obviously you're doing that installation on Friday morning and then no one else is going to be going back till Monday. Right. And so those were the, those calls happened almost weekly. And that's where, did you say shut up? No, but I mean, it just said, you know what, I only have so much equipment to get out there. And this is, this is how it's going to be done. And I'm sorry. And that's just, that's the end of the road. And the, and the same thing with obviously with the sales team, you know, it, it bind you. I mean, there was times where you literally had a company that two people were working and, you could be working a subsidiary. Somebody else could be wearing the parent, you know, working the parent company and all of a sudden they're going to meet and no one realized that this subsidiary worked for this company. And then you've got two different people working at two different levels and then you've got to make the decision. Hey, you know what? And that's, that's final. And I'm really sorry whether you like it or not, but I, I'm making that call right now because you know what? We are wasting time and effort right now by two different people working on the same company. Right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, one of the questions that keeps coming up that I think um, is helpful for us and me specifically is I know you're part of, you know, not only do you run the family business, you're on multiple boards, you, you do a ton of things. What do you find helps you as a leader kind of keep it all in place and organized and task? I know, you know, we've talked to a couple people on here who journal, who vision boards, you know, who go all out that way. I'm not a big proponent of that. I'm just, you know, a pencil and paper and I got it on a legal pad of what needs to get done. But right. um, is there anything that you can kind of share with our listeners of how you kind of keep things in order of, of what needs to happen and when it needs to occur? Sure. I, um, I usually take, when I go to meetings, I take, you know, journals and I have different journals for different, you know, different boards I'm on. So, and I usually take those and then I, uh, I keep those pads and I, I obviously, I date them and I'm on some school boards and some hospital boards and I keep them in a um, cabinet at my desk at the office. And um, that way you can go back and really, you know, 
review your notes from the the previous meeting because a lot you know a lot of times there's like I said there's some gems in there that you you forgot that you just discussed or stuff that has come up between the meetings because typically you meet maybe quarterly but um a lot of people have different techniques you know we have a lot of people who different you know obviously bring in their ipads and write notes and stuff um unfortunately my writing is kind of i'm left-handed and i write like a doctor so it's chicken scratch so only i can read so i just you know i write it out on a on a piece of paper and a pad and i actually um re- usually able to review most of my notes but um i find that a lot of people try to um do it from memory and you know as we all as we all get older it's it's hard to bring it all together and which meeting and when did it happen so um to answer your question i keep journals at every different meeting that i go to and you know and like i said there's a um a current book that i've uh been reading and you know you you go to meetings and it's a book called range by uh david epstein and it's it's a great book about just um, why generalists triumph in a you know, specialized world. And I would not have known about that book, but it was at a board meeting. And the great thing about that book, guys, is that um, the very beginning, it talks about Tiger Woods and Roger Federer. And it's, uh, the difference is, just, obviously, we all know how Tiger was brought up with Earl Woods and the Green Beret. And just, you know, he'd rattle a can with, you know, change while, during his backswing and all that stuff. Well, Roger Federer had a completely different upbringing, right? I mean, he was just kind of guy who played all the sports and just very active kind of guy and, you know, never really specialized. And then all of a sudden we know what he turned into. So the reason why I'm sharing that with you is that, you know, I was in a board meeting and all of a sudden someone said, you know, I'm reading this great book range about, you know, everybody has a way to become a specialist and everyone starts out as a journalist. Nobody knows what they want to do. And had I not really been, you know, obviously listening and paying attention to all that, and I just wrote down the book Range, and then, you know, now I've just started reading it, and, it, you know, it's a great book, right? And so um, that's one of the other things that I just, you know, everyone tends to kind of scribble notes and write stuff, but, you know, then there there's some great things that come out of that. And so um, that's how I take my, you know, I take my notes, and then I, I find out some great things, or people say stuff during a meeting, and you're like, you know, that's really that really, yeah, you, know, you write it down, and then you want to think about it a little bit more about, yeah. you know, what what's that guy the, said. What's the ratio to, you know, you're in these board meetings, obviously, to be on those boards, you've got to be at an elite kind of leader level or be in a power position in some regard. Um, what's the ratio of, like, shut up to, oh, my gosh, you know, like, what what is that ratio look like having not been kind of at that level before? <laughs> well, you know, Obviously, when when you initially step on a board, it's like drinking water through a fire hose. I mean, you know, you, you think you know the institution, and then they give you a book that's, you know, two or three inches thick and say, here you go, enjoy it. And, you know, you're trying to read it and you're trying to be well-versed on this institution. And then, you know, but I always typically, when you go in, you do go in and you shut up because, you know, not there are some people who will immediately, you know, say a few words and stuff, but I, I think initially you have to listen to what's going on with that institution. And that's very important because um, you might have some ideas, but obviously the board has already discussed it, right? And so I, I, coming, you know, coming new to board, that's um, probably the best thing is to go in and be quiet. But I think going for, you know, going forward, then obviously there's that expectation that you are going to voice your concerns, right? or suggestions or hey i've seen this i've been on another school board i've been on another hospital board i've seen where these things are going and what's happening 
And I think that that's really important too, because you can easily pull something from one institution and take it to another because that, you know, everybody likes, you know, copy is almost a, a sense of flattery. It's great. Right. So. So one of the things that I think is um, like really like impactful about my time with you is you already mentioned it. Like you, you're not the dude who's going to come and just like talk for an hour. Um, like you choose, you choose very precisely. I think when you want to have input or be a listener, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think there's various things we can talk about here. Cause I think there's the, there's the family business side. There's the dad side. There's the coach side. There's the board, you know, the board side. Um, sure. So how do you pick and choose your spots? Because I think those, um, like that, I'm, I'm imagining it's going to range, but for example, on a board where you meet quarterly, you know, if, if you don't speak for one of the meetings, you know, they're not going to hear you for half the year. <laughs> you know right. I mean? So how do you, sure. how do you pick your spots, but also stay true to yourself? That's a great question. You know, I think that um, a lot of times with board meetings, as you know, you're going to have an agenda prior to arriving. So you, you have a sense of what's going to happen, you know, you already know pretty much the game plan. You don't know how the game's going to be played out, but you have an idea of what the uh, current concerns are in the community or in that institution. So that's the first thing I will say is that you, you, you need to know what's coming up. Same thing with the practice. I mean, there could be some issues going on with some of the players or something, and we discuss it before it, or we have an idea of how it's all going to perhaps play out. And that's very important because, you know, that kind of sets up when I would make a response, right? If I, if I see something that I don't like in the agenda, it's almost best to take it prior to just to make sure that you're reading it right. Because lots of times people will read the situation and you and I can read an email completely differently, Ronan. And that's one of the things a lot of people and that I see in today's world, whether it's email, whether it's texting, you know, if I'm going face to face with you, you can read my mannerisms and you know exactly what I'm going. But if I say something on a text and all of a sudden you read it completely differently, then you and I have a whole nother conversation, right? Because we're not on, we're not on the same page. And so my point to this is that you have to be well-versed and know exactly what's going on. And if you have questions, I like to ask my questions before. So then I know, and then to your point, when do you decide to put it in? Well, that's when the opinion counts because then you know exactly what's going to happen right beforehand. And I'm not saying that you can read what, you know, I'm, I don't have a special globe and say, okay, this is what's going to happen, but you have an idea of the way the meetings can go. And if you go to enough of these, you get a sense of where the conversation will go. But then lots of times conversations tend to go off tangent and then you have to, you know, you have to bring it back because Obviously, it's a very short, concise time that you're having these meetings and you've got a lot of decisions to make in the, you know, for that institution or for the team or whatever. Like when we have when we have our practices, guys, I mean, there's a certain amount of time that, you know, David has at the beginning of the practice. Like this is what we want to accomplish today. And then hopefully tomorrow, you know, and we will do it 100 percent. And then hopefully tomorrow it's something new. And so but when you're bringing in people from all over the country for a board meeting and then and you you have literally a day and a half to get it done. You, you can't be, you know, you have to be on your A game. You have to be ready to go. Right. 
and it's is that going to change um you know we were talking offline before about the impact that you know this whole covid situation has had now more so than ever i think especially as a leader you're not going to be able to go face to face right you're not going to be able to get a group of people in the same room together to 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 read those mannerisms so as a leader do you think that that your your ability to to a articulate but also translate is going to be that much more and impactful now than ever well you you make a good point because obviously we have zoom videos now and i i think that you know we had some uh, board meetings and obviously with the uh the school that i'm in connecticut it's it's very hard because you have people not only all over the country you have some people out of the country and then the timing of you know time zones etc but i think that um and to answer your question, no, we will not meet in person. And, you know, and we are going to have extra meetings and we're having extra meetings literally coming up in the next couple of weeks trying to figure out the school year going forward. And I think that um, for our new board members coming on, because we bring them on at the beginning of the year, I mean, what a great time to come on board, unfortunately, you know, because of the coronavirus. But um, it's also very difficult because you really haven't met anyone yet, right? And typically... You want to go and have a nice dinner with everybody. Everybody introduces each other and you might, you know, stay up and talk about kids in school, whatever. So um, that's the one thing, obviously, guys, with this, you know, this class that's going to college because they could start school with Zoom. And, you know, think how different your college experience is if you actually aren't meeting with your professor face to face and your classmates truly face to face and kind of getting that like we're talking earlier about mannerisms and stuff. Right. All I'm seeing is someone on a screen and whether or not you and I would really get along, we have to, but that's, you know, I, I find that very interesting because I honestly don't think that we are going to have a person to person meeting for my Connecticut situation, probably until maybe, you know, the spring of 2021, you know, they're, they're planning on opening up, but they're going to try and do their best to lock down the campus. Right. So, and I'd probably be considered an outsider. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a whole different perspective, David. Yeah, I, I think it's going to, we were talking about it before, of how this is going to affect everyone is, you know, that part of your leadership style of being on point, you know, on task, the agenda made, all of those things that maybe you can get away with a little bit more when you're person to person, because you can read the room, you can do all those types of things where now you're you're sitting across just like we are right now of of you know trying to read somebody through a, a screen or a student to a professor or a student raising their hand you know you don't want to be the first kid that raises the hand in the class um right. so i think you know that's going if you look the silver lining of all this could be you know creating different ways to communicate in different ways to to, to, to garner those mannerisms from different people in these kind of situations, which in the long run, hopefully you can come away with being more savvy in your leadership style and, and creating those relationships through different means, I think is going to be emphasized that much more. And even, you know, emails have to be so much more on point and, and people are going to be, you know, ripping them apart, so to speak, if if they aren't grammatically correct or you don't have the proper punctuation, all those things I think are going to play a different 
uh, hand in how, you know, I look back on my education of grammar and being able to write. I, I look back to my elementary school. I know that's gone on the wayside because of people typing and, and everything else. So I think that might kind of, you know, come back full circle now a bit of, of being able to write and, and articulate, you know, via email and via text. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But I think if you look at the silver lining of it, you could have a situation where that effectiveness, you know, of, of where you might not be great at, you got to become great at it and adapting. Right. I think as a leader, you always got to be ready to to adapt and overcome. Exactly. Because, you know, um, <clears throat> as you're saying, when you have meetings, there's a lot of sidebars, obviously, as well, guys. And so, you know, you pull, I might pull you aside and say, hey, we, we really need to discuss this, or I'm going to ask you, you know, I chair a couple of committees, I'm going to ask you to do this on a different committee and stuff. And it's, a, you know, you can't really do that, guys, during a Zoom, obviously. And it's, it's a lot easier. I mean, you can, or say, hey, listen, I'll call you after this. But when you're in the same room with somebody, and you're on a given you know, given campus, that's a whole different, I mean, you were there, you are a hundred percent focused, committed to that institution while you're there. And here we are on zoom and, you know, things can be going on in the background, dogs can be barking and all that stuff. And you're saying, okay, I need to have a serious conversation with someone about chairing another committee for me or, you know, doing something else or making this visit or whatever they're doing. And it's, it's different, right? It's a new world that, I mean, we are going to, like you said, we are going to have to adapt. And we will figure it out because you know what? If you don't, you're going to be in trouble, right? I do think this is uh, a little bit of like the great equalizer to some, in some sense, though. I mean, you mentioned, you know, what if, you know, what if this senior class goes to college and they start on Zoom and their professors are only seeing them in these boxes? Um, I'll tell you, I think that actually is an advantage to most students because a lot of students walk in the, a lot of students walk in the door and they are, I mean, this is what happens. It's human nature, right? We judge people immediately when we see them. We decided on them. That's the way it works. In this scenario, I think that happens less. You know, we're talking about the silver lining and we're talking about a, a group of, of uh, students who is much, it has a much higher EQ, I would say, than, than we did um, in the past. And I think those two things are going to bounce each other out. But, I mean, who knows? We're all just guessing. I think that EQ piece is interesting because I, I agree with you on how I think kids these days growing up, um, they're, they're taught that more than we were mm-hmm. growing up. Um, so I think as a leader, that's become the emphasis has become as we move to the younger and younger generation, not to say we're that old yet. Um, you know, I think that emphasis will continue. And I think as, as a quote unquote older person who's a leader has to adapt to understanding that and, and really, again, being articulate and being able to um, not make people feel pushed to the side or put in a box in some regard and, and really to the, I don't want to say to the masses, but you got to be able to, to garner everyone's attention and pull them all in instead of just, you know, marketing to kind of one or two different types of people. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that's too different from leadership at large anyway. Right? Like, it does it matter? Like, regardless of who the people are that you're leading, aren't you always molding yourself to what's best for them? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
like I think of like what would it have been like to be a leader in the 60s and 70s? Because I think if you look at, you know, 20 plus year olds in the 70s, they're probably not too dissimilar from, you know, this group in the 2000s of like very, you know, high EQ, um, like very well read on current events. Like that's, those are the things that come to top of mind. And it's like, well, we economically, we made it through those times. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of great leaders that came out of that time and they had to shift from, I mean, the sixties to the seventies is a pretty wild radical shift in the country. Um, I don't know. That's just one of the thoughts that I have around that. I don't know who you manage, Andrew, but I imagine that, um, from from the team stuff to the family stuff to the work stuff to the board stuff, these are all probably very different sets of of uh, relationships that you're managing. So to this point, I mean, what is that like for you, and how do you shift mentalities if you do it all? Actually, I, I try not to shift mentalities, but you know, sometimes that doesn't work that well, Ronnie, because I, I you know I think that um, what works in the um, the office setting might not work out on the field, but, you know, you try and be as even keel as possible because, um, you know, changing management styles is probably not in the best interest for the individual. I mean, you know, you can do it a little bit, but my point is, is that if you, um, I think that ends up changing um, your, your personality and the way you are. And you, you can, I don't think you can literally be a leader and, manage let's say an office and then all of a sudden then go to a sports team and then go to a board and change you know you're wearing different hats but I, I don't think you should change your outfit if that makes sense I, I think you still need to be the same person to your core right because I think a lot of people will try and make that change and you know sometimes it works well but other you know I, I've seen it work you know not so well either right and that's um where people carry a different personality trait that you're like, whoa, you know, I haven't seen that before. Right. And, and that does happen. And, um, you know, and it can happen, you know, when I, when I was working in, in DC, I had a, um, a guy that I worked with and he and I were kind of like co-managers of this thing for, um, back for Bush 41. And, um, there was something that, um, I was actually, um, brought down here to Houston for the Republican national convention. And, uh, at the, at the Astrodome of all places. And, uh, you know, and he, he didn't get that, you know, he didn't get the nod to do it. And I was actually brought down here for about seven weeks and, you know, I saw a side of him that, you know, I'd never seen. And I, and I, it, it just kind of, um, he's a great guy. Don't get me wrong, but it was just something where I think it, you know, it was something that I think he really, and he really wanted it. And I just, you know, I didn't realize that it was kind of a, one or the other, I thought we were both going to come down here to Houston from DC for, you know, six weeks. And, you know, and it was a, um, eye-opening experience and, you know, and I think you learn little, uh, you know, tidbits throughout your, you know, your life and experiences of things. You know what, that's something that I, I really don't want to do because, you know, it's, you know, sh you show Beth, we all, Hey, we all do our best, but, you know, every now and then, and, you know, and he just, unfortunately he, he let his guard down and it was, you know, it was in a meeting discussing how we were going to, you know, roll out, you know, when I came down here, guys, I, I saw the last Astros game and the first Astros game. And between those two, we had a Republican national convention down here in Houston for six weeks. So, you know, pretty cool. But, you know, like I said, this gentleman showed a pretty, you know, a bad side and that's, but that that happens, and um, now I uh, 
I still know him and we talk about it. You know, we talked about it once. He goes, yeah, I didn't, not my best day, but. It's, I mean, number one, let's just go back to the gem you just dropped. Uh, you can wear different hats, but you shouldn't change your outfit. God damn, that's a good one. <laughs> Going on the whiteboard, baby. <laughs> um, but but number two, it sounds like what you're talking about is consistency, right? And how sure. how, how impactful that has been. Um, but but one of the things we talk a lot about is transparency, and that seems to be playing a big role here. And a definition that we heard of transparency a few episodes ago. Um, that that keeps coming up is when your inner voice matches your outer voice. Uh, And it sounds like for, for at least that, for that moment, Mm -hmm. um, for that moment, it sounds like maybe his inner voice didn't match his outer voice. Right. Right. And he's been able to, 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 you know, work through that. Well, and, and I think there's sometimes when you, you know, you say, you start to say something and you say I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth and you know, I need to stop <laughs> right now. Right. I mean, we, we've all had those moments. They're like, wow, did I just say that? Right. You know, it, you know, it's, it's always like that joke you hear. Okay. Well, did that really come out of my voice? But you know, out of my mouth. But I, I think that um, one of the things that um, I always wait, uh, you know, and pause just a little bit before I speak, because, you know, there is a point there where sometimes you just, you, as y'all you know, you have to bite your tongue. You don't want to, but it's probably in everybody's best interest because, you know, sometimes we're very quick to respond. It's just, it's the same thing. I have a very good friend that you both know very well who's an attorney. And, you know, in today's world, guys, there's that expectation that if you send an email out to anyone, that they're going to instantaneously respond. Well, if you're sending it to an attorney and you're asking about a deal or something, and, you know, and you're sitting there looking at your computer, you're waiting for your phone, you're waiting for that, that noise and look to see that the response. And I said, you know, why does it, you know, or you just, well, I have to think through so many different scenarios of, you know, what could happen. And so give me some time to respond. It's the same thing with a doctor or any, or any professional for that matter, that you're asking professional, you know, you're asking for a professional response from them on a specific issue and they might have to go do their research right or an accountant or anything and you want it instantaneously and I, that's the one thing that concerns me now it's the same thing with speaking you know all of a sudden you already know what the answer is and you just want to blurt it out there and you know what you should wait right and i think that's the same thing with um this generation because everything is so quick right you get everything instantaneously and you know just absorb it think about it before you immediately start texting that response, emailing that response, because you know what, once it's out there in print, you can't take it back. You can try, but it looks really bad when people try to, you know, take that email back. You could see that happening too. <laughs> this is, uh, I feel like this is so aligned with like who you are as a leader though. Like I'm going to be so thoughtful when I give you something. Um, yeah. So it's awesome to hear you go deeper there. Listen, one of the things we like to do as well is to think through from, I mean, from the beginning, you know, when did you know, like, this is what I'm going to do? Or when was the first time you saw a leader that was impactful for you? I had some great, um, you know, I, I've, I've listened to y'all shows, many, to all of them, actually. I usually, you know, we've all been able to walk a lot, right? And so, uh, 
podcasts are perfect for it, guys. And so, um, you know, like the both of you, I've, I've had some great coaches and some, the, some of those guys from uh, obviously the local school here, as well as the, the boarding school I attended, they, um, they were guys who just really impacted me and said, you know, there were some things that, like you said, there's always some gems that they say that keep you coming back. And, you know, we always hate, you know, those rainy football practices, the rainy lacrosse practices. I mean, the sprints during the bat in the basketball gym. I mean, just like, it's never going to, and no one likes to practice. We all know that. I mean, we all, you know, we're there for game day. It's Saturday. That's what we all, that's what we want. But I, I found early on that, you know, there's some coaches and there's definitely some teachers that will always say something to you. And, you know, they're always bringing you back. And that's when I realized listening to those guys that there's some, there's something to it. Now, as I said earlier, you, know, you always got You always have to be listening to these guys. Right. And there's something that if you miss it, you're going to, you're going to miss out. Right. And so when I uh, was at boarding school and then I decided to come back to Texas for college at SMU, I, um, I really had some great teachers that told me some wonderful things and said, listen, you know, the, the motto that as David knows at Westminster is, is grit and grace, you know, and, the thing about grit is, you know, in sports, we would always fight above our weight limit. I mean, that's just what it was. We just, we were a smaller school, not as many students, but we'd go in there and we'd go in swinging. And that's just what it was. But then, you know, at the end, you, you leave with grace. You shake hands. You say, you know, good game. Maybe, maybe we won or lost. But, I mean, grit and grace is a way that I really, it's a great term and it really brings it back home of, you know, what it's all about. Right, guys, because I mean, to be a leader, you got to have a little grit, and got to have a little, you got to have a little grace there, right? It's actually a little great, a little grit, and a lot of grace, because that's what that's that's probably true what it should be. I uh, I I love grit and grace. I've never heard that before. That was the first time I I heard that. Oh, really? Oh, well, and it's interesting because grit was really not a very big vocabulary word, but in the last probably fifteen or twenty years, it's really, you know picked up and a lot everybody talk, you know if you go do a search on grit it's a, it's almost in probably 50 percent of all the articles you read now you got to have a little grit right but back in the uh in the 80s grit was sound like a word basically like dirt so you know whatever <laughs> andrew uh what do you think on so we talked about like one of the questions we like to ask you know we've had a lot of great leaders people that have influenced us um what about on the opposite end because we always want to take away, you know, our feeling, I believe, is you can always take away something good or, good mm-hmm. or bad. So what, um, from a perspective of a bad leader or someone mm-hmm. that you were like, oof, I don't want to do that. Is there something or someone, obviously you don't have to name them, but that you can pinpoint that was, I'm not doing that. Right. <clears throat> I'm not going to share any names, but I have, you know, I have some situations where there are some people, you know, guys, I think that um, if, you, if you haven't been in the trenches and done everything, but then you make that expectation for somebody to do it, that's trouble. And there are a lot of leaders out there who will, you know, expect, you know, make expectations of their, of their players, of their employees and say, okay, I need you to do this, this, and this. And realistically, guys, it might not even be possible to do it. And I think that there's a lot of leaders out there who, um, just because they've gone to 
a great school, graduate school, and then all of a sudden they're putting in a situation where, okay, you, you know, you're going to lead a team. You're going to lead a team of 25 people. And just because I tell you you're going to be a great leader, you're going to be a great leader. And then all of a sudden they have not done anything. And I'd rather see somebody come through the ranks and start, you know, from like for a sales rep from just one little small little territory guys and then get all the way through and have been there. But there's a lot of leaders who make expectations that are unrealistic. Right. And I, I think it's the same thing with, you know, as we do with coaching guys, there are sometimes where we put guys in a position where they're going to fail. Right. It's just, it's just not, it's not possible for them, whether it's not having the proper tools or anything. And I, and I think that, you know, y'all do a wonderful job with that because there's something that you have to realize that, you know what, not everybody can do everything perfectly. And so, or as good as you, but you know what, you better have experience before you put somebody in that fire because that, that's not really fair. Right. And, and I've seen a lot of guys who will do that. They will put people in a situation where, you know, it's almost that expectation that they are going to lose and that that's unfortunate, but, and then that, that burns out people's careers too, right? Quickly. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I've been trying to rewatch. Obviously, we got time on our hands. So um, Band of Brothers again. And uh, mm-hmm. the, the guy that kind of popped in my head is the Captain Sobel, the David Schwimmer character from mm-hmm. Band of Brothers, who, you know, the expectation for all of his guys is so high. But then when push comes to shove, he's not willing to do or hasn't done the work or hasn't done what he's asking them to do and how that is so ineffective as a leader. And eventually you get sniffed out, right? right. Eventually that, that bubbles up. It's going to catch up to you. Sure. Exactly. Um, so just interesting. And I think that's something that, you know, I've, and I, I've shared is the, is the trash, right. From mm-hmm. my, my days in the military of, guys came in, tried to take my trash. I'm like, what do you do? You don't need to take my trash. I got my trash, right? There's certain things, but then, you know, you're in a position of leadership. There is a point where you have to say, there's a point where, okay, they can take my trash out. Right. And that's, it's a fine line, but you have to show the gratitude and appreciation that that is what they're supposed to be doing. Right. So I think there's that kind of fine line in that. And I think, you know, to your point of, uh, of, of finding, you know, don't, don't ask someone to do something you're not a, either willing to do or have not done before. Right. And I, and I think, that, you know, to bring it down to coaching guys, I mean, we've all seen those coaches, right. On the sidelines, like, you know what, I don't want, I don't want to be like that. And, and I don't want to have that kind of coach around me either. Right. Or the same thing, I hate to say it, the, the fathers or the mothers in the stands too. Right. I mean, it's just, it's that whole perspective. And I, I think that, um, you don't realize how many eyes are watching you and ears are hearing you. And even though, you know, fortunately for us, we might be on the other side of the field, but you can still see somebody doing jumping jacks as a coach and wonder, okay, what's that guy doing over there? And, um, you know, if you look back and watch your, you know, video of yourself or someone doing that, and I'm not saying that we do that, but the point is, you know, it's, it's not the, it's not the best moment guys. Right. And, um, and I think with um, being a leader, I mean, I, you know, y'all are shaping, you know, young gentlemen to be leaders as well, right? And I think that um, they are looking to you in a very stressful situation. It can be, obviously, David in the military, or it can be on a, on a field, or it can be in the office or whatever. And you know what? How do they react to that situation? 
because hopefully they've been here before. So I'm going to watch David and see how he reacts that given moment or Ronnie, you know, because he's, he's seen it or he's just so level-headed that it actually works and I trust him and I'm, you know, I'm going to go to battle with that guy and get it, you know, get it done. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people look to for leaders now is that someone who has actually, you know, been there and level-headed and makes hopefully the right call. Now there's going to be mistakes. We all know that, but the most important thing is, is that, you know, your leaders will be a, God, how do I, <clears throat> leaders are somebody that you always look up to guys. And if what they say and what they do, you need to, you know, you need to follow that because hopefully they've been there and if they haven't been there. The bad side will show up very quickly. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with it. I think the analogy that I'm thinking of is kind of the, the film, right? It's never as good as you think it is, but it's also never as bad as it is. And if you apply that across the board, right, whether it's your boardroom, whether it's your family business, whether it's, you know, your, your, your day-to-day job, um, I think if you apply that in that even keel level headedness, it's way easier said than done. But I think if you can keep that in the back of your mind and um, keep focused on kind of the mission of whether it's growth to get better or um, you made a mistake, well, okay, you made a mistake, don't dwell on it. What are you doing to, to make sure that you don't make it again? Um, I think as a leader, if you have that analogy of the film, I think it's uh, it can benefit you in the long run. One of the things I feel like um, I feel like being a coach has informed so much of my leadership style uh, at work as well, and vice versa. But one, I think one of the most impactful pieces of the puzzle is sharing your growth as a leader, so that it doesn't feel like there's failures. There's just growth. You know what I mean? And how that kind of changes the perspective on it. Yeah, that, that, well, that, 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 I think, um, you know, that growth over failure, you know, we, we watched a couple of videos, you know, with the team that I, I think hopefully reinforced that a bit. Um, you know, we watched that Kobe video, which I thought was great um, of his kind of idea of failure and his idea that there is no failure, which is, kind of blew my mind and, and right. really changed how I felt because especially how I feel and um, you know, it's a little bit watered down now, but you know, especially when I coached college, if we failed, we lost. And if we lost more than we won, I get fired. <laughs> so right. there's a direct like result to that. So that balance of having the growth. And I think, I don't know, Andrew, if you can add to, kind of what that looks like in the business world obviously you know you want to have growth and you want to make sure that you don't fail and you have more wins and losses but what does that look like kind of in your world of of failure well unfortunately if you fail you lose you know lots of times you lose money and that that doesn't feel good right so it's the same thing David and you said you know being a coach and if you you know unfortunately if you're on the losing side a lot of times and you know you're going to probably lose money as well. Right. So um, listen, guys, nobody likes to fail, but you know what? Failing makes you stronger. I mean, that's just a foregone conclusion, right? You have to fail or for example, college, 
how many people truly get into their first choice? Not many, right? But, and that's a failure, right? Or you, if you go and ask someone out and they say no, that's a failure. And you know what? But you need to have that, but you've got to be able to, you know, tighten up the bootstraps and get back up there and try again. David, like you say, you know, you always have to be the one to, you know, ask the question. And I think that, um, but to, to answer your question about failure, I mean, you know, that, that drive is guys, is you know, when, when, you know, if you lose a lot of money, then all of a sudden you're, you're in trouble. And that's one of the things that that's what drives me. Right. And um, you can't fail. You don't have a choice to fail, but if you do, you need to you know, go back and do the research and figure out what happened, what mistakes you made along the way. And obviously don't let it happen again, but then going forward, you know, make sure that if you get to that same point in the road that you, you go a different direction. Right. Because <laughs> um, obviously that, yeah, because money is, yeah, you know what, money is the driver for a lot of people. And um, it is a growth aspect too, because if you continue to do the right things enough times, you, you will learn from that as well. And that's growing too. Right. Um, I don't think we can handle any more gems in one. <laughs> in one call. No, um, th- this was awesome, man. I, I, uh, I think David and I knew this was going to be awesome. Um, and I feel like we could probably do another 90 minutes, but uh, let, let's let's wrap this episode, and I think we might need to do a part two with you, Andrew. Love it. So, It'd be my pleasure, guys. Um, th- this is this has been really awesome for me, and I know Dave and I chat kind of through the whole thing, uh, just to make sure we we're not you know overlapping each other and we got kind of a flow going. And um, basically, both of us are just keep getting fired up about this. So, um, well, I, I really a great job. <laughs> Well, we we appreciate you coming on. It definitely makes us more legit uh, as well. Oh, well, come on, guys. Y'all are doing a great job. And like I said, I enjoy listening to it weekly. Appreciate that. Yeah, man. Well, um, with that, uh, we thank you again for coming on. Uh, And this was Lucky to Lead, Episode 6.